So this week, I walked into Panera Bread, as is my usual custom, and I uh, was ordering a cup of coffee. And as I was talking with the lady at the counter, uh, one of the cooks came from in the kitchen area, looked over my way and said, blueberry bagel toasted with butter, right? And I replied, yep, that's exactly right. I guess she knows that blueberry bagels are one of my favorites. We all have favorites of some kind, right? Maybe you have your favorite color. Maybe you have your favorite book, your favorite movie. I don't know, maybe um, your favorite place to eat. But we all have some kind of favorite things. Recently, somebody asked me about some of my biblical favorite things. Like, what's your favorite Bible verse? Does anybody ask you that? That's a hard one to come up with, isn't it? Because it's just, my answer is, it's according to what day it is, right? Or what's your favorite Bible book? And that's very difficult too. It's just really according to where I'm at and what's going on in my life. Or, or maybe your favorite biblical character. Well, I thought about this and I, I began to think maybe we ought to just talk a little bit about some favorite things. And so for the next few weeks, I'm grateful to be able to have an opportunity to talk about some favorite things. And, and I want to introduce you to some favorite Bible characters, at least this morning, one of my favorite Bible characters. It might surprise you. Uh, now, this is not uh, necessarily in any kind of order, but this particular character is one of my favorite for many reasons. It's a lady. It's a woman from the Old Testament period. That may surprise you in itself, and yet she's listed in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 in what we call the, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Or In fact, she's listed right behind Moses. Now, interestingly, this woman is a prostitute and not one that we would necessarily think would be found in that list, but there she is because of her faith. The lady's name is Rahab, and Rahab has an incredible story, but there's one part of the story that makes it one of my favorites, and I think it's because the one part of her story is prominent in telling my favorite story, which is the story of redemption. Rahab lived around 1400 B.C. She was in the city of Jericho, just as Joshua and the children of Israel were preparing to take the city. They were preparing to march across the Jordan River, come and surround the city of Jericho, and take the city of Jericho in order that they might enjoy the promised land. It's found in the book of Joshua, so I want to read to you from Joshua chapter 2, and let's look at this incredible lady's story and see what we can learn from it this morning. Joshua 2 verse 1 says, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies, two men as spies, from the Acacia Grove, saying, Go out and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. So here we have it. Joshua is preparing to take the city. He sends some spies to spy out the land and most particularly to spy out Jericho. Maybe he's looking for a weakness in the wall. Maybe he's looking for a weakness in the guard duty. I don't know. But he sends the spies and the spies have to be very careful not to be recognized. They hide out in, a, in, the, in the, um, the home of a prostitute named Rahab. I guess they thought they would be safe there and yet... The Bible tells us that the, the people from the city heard that some Israelites might be there, and they began to search for these Israelites, and they searched into it, came to Rahab's house. And Rahab said, oh, they were here earlier, but they're gone now. And she told them a story, all the while hiding them on the roof. Well, we pick up the story just a little bit later when Rahab comes by to warn the men that they've been thought or been found. In verse 8, we read, Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof. 
and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. My, listen, the, the people in Jericho had heard stories that were already rumbling through the land about these Israelites, about how they had crossed the Red Sea and how they had defeated the Egyptian army. And now she says, we're, we're afraid. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you and you came out of Egypt and, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. And now she asked him a question. Now, please swear to me, she says, swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I show kindness to you. Give me a future sign. <laughs> that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, we will give our lives for yours if you don't report our mission. We will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide there for three days until they return. Afterward, go on your way. The men said to her, here's what the Israelites said. Listen carefully. The men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us to swear unless when we enter the land, you tied the scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Now, there are several things that intrigue me about this story. And you may be listening to it and thinking, well, it's not very exciting. It sounds rather uh, mundane to me. But there are several things here that make this in story, this story incredible. Things that, that ring out to me. First of all, we see God uses a prostitute to deliver his people Israel. To deliver these men, these Israelite spies, who are going to go back and tell Joshua, hey, we can take the city and here's what we need to know. Uh, it, it's amazing that God chooses to use a prostitute. And yet we know that that's the God of grace. That's the God of mercy that we serve. Secondly, the prostitute becomes well known in Israel. As a matter of fact, because of this deed of letting these men down by a rope out of the window, saving their lives and preserving the march into Jericho, she becomes literally a national hero. Maybe we don't expect for a prostitute become the hero in the Old Testament story. And then the third thing is found that this prostitute, Rahab, becomes so important, she's actually listed in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus. Now think about that. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. There's only a few ladies mentioned, period. Rahab is one of them. It's an incredible thing. So why is it that she's so important and what makes it so special? Well, I think it's the most intriguing thing in the story. The men tell her, after she, as she begins to let them down, we're going to come and march against the city. When we take the city, we'll spare you and anyone in your house if you have this red rope in the window. This scarlet cord, or red rope we might say, in the window. Now that red rope becomes extremely intriguing to me. First of all, the rope was to be left in the window. I get that. They could see it. They could understand which window was hers. They could remember the covenant. They could say to the people that there's a rope in the window where we need to spare this lady. I get all that. But then we're told specifically that the cord is red, 
Now, I just don't think that's accidental. I just can't believe that. It, why was that important? Why not just say put the rope in the window? Why this red rope? The biblical writer obviously wants us to make a connection here. When we think of red, we think of a lot of things. Red makes us think of sin. Isaiah the prophet said, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. But red also makes us think about blood. And we know that throughout the scriptures, blood is an important ingredient in the process of salvation. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. When we see this picture of this harlot who spares the two spies and makes the way for Israel to march against the city and to eventually conquer the land, I think that red robe does a couple of things. One thing, it looks back to the Red Sea. It looks back to the Passover and the blood that was shed there. It looks back to the deliverance of the children of Israel out of slavery, and it looks forward to the cross, to the blood that was shed on the cross. It looks forward to our deliverance from sin. So this red rope is intriguing to me, and it has been to many others. It's been called through the years a red thread or a red rope of redemption. Why? Because when we see this red rope, we're reminded of the importance of blood. And as we move back into the scriptures, we find a trail of blood that begins in Genesis and moves all the way to the book of Revelation. Now that's intriguing in itself, right? Here is the Bible. Here's the scripture written by many authors over many years, this collection of books. And yet there is one thread, if you will, that ties it all together, that makes it make sense. How else can you take a book like Genesis and connect it with a book like John or Matthew or Revelation? There is a thread that runs through the scriptures that makes it all complete and shows us that the Bible is a collection of books, but it's telling one story, my favorite story, the story of redemption. Why you would do well to take your scripture and follow this trail of blood as it begins in Genesis and moves through scripture. It will help you if you'll see this red thread of redemption, this red rope, if you will, of redemption that begins in the beginning and takes us all the way into eternity. Let me give you a little taste of it this morning. I want to just show you just a part of it and show you how this happens. First of all, think about the beginning. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth, and He creates man in His own image, and He places man and his wife in the Garden of Eden in a perfect paradise, in a wonderful place, and all is well, and they commune with God daily. But then in chapter 3, you remember that man sins. And when man sins, he falls. And with his fall comes a separation from God. Sin separates us from God. And so our our Fellowship with God is broken, and as God walks to the garden in the cool of the day, He knows that man has sinned, and He's come to cast man out of the garden. But first, there's a conversation that takes place, and maybe one some of the most intriguing part of that conversation is that the man and the woman, after they took of the fruit, realized that they were naked. And God said, who told you that you were naked? And they realized the shame of their disobedience against God. They realized their shame. In sin. But God, before casting them out of the garden, acted in grace and decided that He would clothe them. 
Listen to what Genesis report says in Genesis 3.21. It says, The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. The first act of God's grace that we see where blood is involved God slays an animal and takes the skin from the animal and makes clothes for Adam and Eve. The first hint that we see of this thread of redemption. Very important because Adam and Eve have sinned and, and they, they discovered their disobedience against God. And so an innocent animal has to die. There's a pattern that's going to emerge as you walk through this process. What you begin to see is this thing happening over and over and over. Man is guilty. The innocent dies as a sacrifice for the guilty so that man can be forgiven and reconciled. We see that all through scriptures, and it begins right here. God starts by saying, you've sinned, you've disobeyed, you're banished from the garden, and fellowship with me is broken. But we're going to repair that to start by clothing you. But to do that, an innocent life has to be given. And so we see it begin. We go a little further into the book of Exodus, and then we find the Passover. And at the Passover, once again, God wants to deliver his people. He wants to deliver his people from, from the bondage of Egypt. It reminds us of how God wants to deliver us from the bondage of sin. Very similar. But to do so, he must send the death angel. Perhaps you recall it. If not, read through the book of Exodus, and you'll begin to see it, particularly in verse 12. And God says, I'm going to send a death angel over the land. And this death angel is going to slay the firstborn son of all the households, including the pharaohs. But then God said, I'm going to make provision for you. If you'll take a lamb and shut it up for four days, after a period of that period of time, take the lamb and slay the lamb, Take the blood of the lamb and put it on the posts and lintel of your house. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. What do we see? The same thing, right? We see the guilty Israel. We see the guilty Egypt. And yet we see God moving in grace, God moving in mercy, God moving in, in, in total holiness, and yet perfection of grace and mercy. And the innocent dies for the guilty. You see, it begins to tie together Genesis chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 12 and the Passover. And then later on, we move on a little further and we can see even further that God does some incredible things on something called the Day of Atonement. Later, as Israel is gathered as a nation and, and they begin to walk in this journey of life, there's sin in the camp and, and God has to deal with that sin. Isaiah the prophet would say to them, your sin is separated from you and your God. There must be something to atone for that sin. And so they created, God gave them a day. Yom Kippur, it's called today in the Hebrew. Yom Kippur, or we might say it, the Day of Atonement. Once a year, when the high priest would take an animal, an innocent animal, and he would sacrifice that innocent animal, catch the blood of that animal. Remember, the innocent for the guilty, because the blood of that animal would then be taken to the altar and sprinkled on the altar seven times for the forgiveness of the sin of the people. And God says, when I see the blood, I'll roll back your sins for an entire year. I'll roll back the judgment that comes of sin. You see, sin must be met by judgment. And God says, I'm rolling back judgment for one year. Why? Because the innocent has died 
for the guilty. And once again now, we see this thread, this trail of blood that begins in the garden and moves to the Passover and now comes at Yom Kippur. We could just follow it on and on as over and again we see the innocent die for the guilty. We see it in the story of Abraham and Isaac when Isaac is ready to be offered to God. And you recall that Abraham is told by God, look, there's a ram in the thicket and you're going to take the ram innocent and it's going to die for the guilty. And the blood of the lamb once again covers it. You see it through the scriptures. I don't have time to unpack it all. But all of this is a trail of blood, a scarlet thread, a scarlet rope, if you will, that is tying the scripture story, the story of redemption together. Man has sinned. The wages of sin is death and death and, 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 and must be punished. But if blood can be shed, if the innocent can die, if there's someone innocent who can die for the guilty, the blood of that innocent sacrifice may cover the sin of the people and reconcile the people to God. Now with that said, not only does the rope of redemption look back to the deliverance of the people from slavery, it looks forward to the cross. And now the cross begins to make sense, doesn't it? You remember when Jesus first appeared on the scene of ministry? He came to the Jordan River in the wilderness, and there John the baptizer was baptizing the people. And it was John who introduced him. And in John chapter 1 and verse 29, we read these words. Here's John's introduction to Jesus, to all of us. He says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Think about that. Now it makes sense. The Lamb of God, the sinless sacrifice, the one who is without sin, who comes to die for the guilty, the innocent for the guilty. Behold the Lamb of God. Those people who heard John that day understood completely. Because John didn't say he's come to die to roll back the sins of the people for a year, as in Yom Kippur. No, he says, here's the Lamb who will take away the sin of the world once and for all. And he's talking about that moment when Jesus is hanging on a cross. And there on the cross, he cries out and yields up his spirit and he dies. And as he dies, the innocent for the guilty, we're given redemption, reconciliation with God. You see, at the cross, man is declared guilty. If man is not guilty, Jesus never had to go to the cross. At the cross, we see Jesus declaring the guilt of man. But at the cross, we also see the innocent dying for the guilty. And at the cross, the relationship between God and man is reconciled, and man is redeemed or brought back to God and restored to that which was lost in Eden. Apostle Peter wrote it very well. Peter said it this way, 1 Peter chapter 3, 19. He said, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. You see that? He suffered, what did he suffer? For sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. There it is. The innocent for the guilty, that he might bring you and me to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So Peter says at the cross, we have the innocent dying for the guilty. We have him who knew no sin become sin for us, that we might be brought to God. 
And then Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, says it this way. He says, in him, that is in Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to his riches of grace. (laughs) Paul said we have redemption, but we have redemption because his blood is spent. The story of redemption, incredible It begins in the garden when man sins and rebels against God. When God says, by grace, I'll clothe you. And he takes the innocent and he clothes the guilty. It goes through the Old Testament as we've seen already where time and time again, God takes the innocent to die for the guilty. All of that pointing toward the cross where ultimately God sends his son A perfect sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice, one who truly is innocent, who dies for the guilty. Now, friends, that's why that's my favorite story. (laughs) Because you see, the innocent Jesus died for the guilty. That's me, and that's you. The guilt of all your sin, the penalty of your sin, the power of sin has over you, all your sin atoned for, taken care of at the cross. How? Through the blood of the innocent, sinless Son of God. No wonder Rahab is in the walk of faith, in the journey of faith, the hall of faith. You see, Rahab saw what God was doing, responded to what God was doing, trusted what God was doing, And followed the obedience, or followed obediently the command that God gave her through those people. And she put as a remembrance that scarlet cord, that red rope, to remind us to look back to the beginning and to look forward to the cross. To remind us that we have life through the precious blood of Christ. So today, I want to share that with you because I really believe this. I really believe that Rahab's story could be your story. (laughs) Yeah, Rahab's story, and certainly the story that Rahab's story tells us, could be your story. And that is the story of redemption. Because you see, my friend, you today stand guilty in your sin. And the guilt of that sin demands death, punishment, the wrath of God, but a sinless sacrifice, an innocent Savior, a Lamb of God, died on a cross 2,000 years ago so that you could be forgiven, so that He would take the wrath of God for you and rise again three days later to offer you the gift of eternal life. We call it the story of redemption. Without a doubt, my favorite story. Now, there's many ways I could have told it to you today, but I chose Rahab because of that red rope that's standing there in the window, reminding us of the red thread of redemption that affects and impacts me and you tremendously. So I want to pray for you today. Others are praying for you right now. And maybe you would like someone to pray with you personally. There will be someone available to do that. But I want to pray that you'll see this red rope of redemption in a new light today. Heavenly Father.
I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your power. I thank you for the justice of your holiness. And yet, God, I thank you for your great mercy. A mercy that forgives and cleanses. A mercy that offers us eternal life, even though we don't deserve it today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've offered it to me. And you gave it to me many years ago. And I pray for these friends who are listening right now. These folks who are listening. That God, you'd speak to hearts and let them know of the invitation that's theirs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.